Ernest without Ernest, two horror masterpieces remade, and after decades, Arnold and Stallone finally team up. This week on 30-20-10. Hello everyone and welcome to 30-20-10, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you back 30, 20, and 10 years into our pop culture past. Hello, how you doing? I'm sitting here in the week of October 13th through the 19th, that's this week as of when we're recording, and we're going to look back at all the cool movies, TV shows, video games, music, and so much more that came out 30, 20, and 10 years ago. So that'd be 1993, 2003, and 2013. Ooh, is me just doing this randomly every time better than a codified speech? I don't know. Tell us. Uh, hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I'm one of the 213 shows that is part of the Munchiverse. <laughs> I actually don't know if it's 213, but it's something like 213. It's pretty amazing and ties it into the canon of Arrested Development and The Simpsons. And who else is with us? This is a story about a man oh, named God. JR. He was sitting at his desk with his mouth close to his microphone, but when it was time to introduce himself, he instead chose to remain silent, not saying a word. Was that two references, or were you just too scared to actually sing? <laughs> <laughs> just one. We'll figure. We'll, we'll figure out what he's talking about in just a moment. Let's bit, a little bit of news. Reading the wonderful world of 1993. Actually, Patreon.com/slash Laser Time. You got a brand new season of Elm Street Nightmare. Uh, Evil Dead being our focus. Five, six episodes on the Evil Dead. Five movies and the TV show. We're covering the Necronomicon. Let's say because that's the only consistent thing in every movie. Patreon.com slash Laser Time. Give us five bucks. Vacation uh, bonus time also upcoming soon. Anyway, 1993. Let's begin 30 years ago on 3020. October 13th through the 19th. A little bit of news to bring you into the world of uh, 30 years ago. Nelson Mandela and South African President uh, F.W. de Klerk awarded uh, the Nobel Peace Prize. Yay. Yay. I thought uh. I won the Peace Prize that year, but that's because of the Antista effect. <laughs> Bad joke. My, <laughs> I've I, I've said the Mandela effect so much I forgot what it actually meant, and uh, <laughs> I reread it this week, and like it is very real that you could have thought Nelson Mandela died in prison. No, it, I wouldn't agree yeah, with that at all. Some people, yes, some totally. people thought that because those people were kids and they weren't paying attention to any news apparently after he was released. I, I guess it's just that if you compare the last 30 years of Zimbabwe with that of South Africa, you know, South Africa has its problems, but the difference between Robert Mugabe and Nelson Mandela is like etched into those. But two I think that's societies. that's why I found the effect so fascinating, because if you're a little kid and looking at headlines, this guy's in jail. This guy's the president. <laughs> like it, it's so wild. If you only see one of them, you might miss out on the latter half of the latter bit of Nelson Mandela's life. Um, but this is, this is the part I remember knowing about him. Like I find it more hard to believe to try and remember when he was in jail, uh, than when he was celebrated because, uh, mm -hmm. th this is we're we're here 30 years ago. Yeah. And I appreciate them giving the award to share it with the clerk as the guy who's like, you know what? Yeah, this is not working out for us. We're, we white people are going to give up some power and try to make things more fair. And 30 years what? ago, Nelson The Man only white guy that ever did that. <laughs> Let's just give up on this, this rotting you know ship what? of apartheid. Uh, we are full of bullshit. You're right. 
Uh, Nelson Mandela, in his acceptance speech, only asked that Morgan Freeman never play him in a movie. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Uh, And then guess what? Hard pivot into the popcorn bit of the news. People Magazine's sexiest a man couple alive because Richard Gere and Cindy... What? Richard Gere and Cindy Crawford are the sexiest people alive. They're not a couple, though. Yeah, they are. Are they? They're married. Yeah, they're married then. But yeah, so the sexiest man alive is Richard Gere, but they need to come up with an excuse to talk about his wife because she's hotter than him anyway. So they're the sexiest couple alive. And she's much better at being on magazine covers. My God. I mean, this is she was ruling the world at this point. Mm-hmm. She, she, you could not avoid her. Because, uh, yeah, she's gorgeous. She's the best chemical engineering student I've ever met. This is dumb. That's true. Look it up. But, I, uh, <laughs> but feel free to share your memories of this if you're my age or a little older. Maybe this belongs in television, but it's very confusing. Friday Night Videos is canceled. No, um, thirty years ago, it it goes, it continues on, but it's retooled. But Friday Night Videos was on NBC every Friday night from 1983 for ten years. A ninety-minute music video showcase, like right before MTV starts, and I only. I was looking up something on the Muppets, and I found the Muppets on there promoting their album because, unlike MTV, there was a much bigger audience who could see this on on NBC, and it was this exactly. huge promotional music venue uh, that nothing like it has replaced it at all. And that was uh, thirty years ago when it starts to be retooled as sort of like a culture show um, that withers on for another decade or so. But yeah, Friday Night Videos. Anyway, uh, movies of 1993. Oh, this is why I get my Leary's confused. Demolition Man is still number one at the box office. Um, I'll, I'll elaborate on that in a second. Out this week, Gong Li and Leslie Chung, Farewell My Concubine, a movie I avoided for years. You fool. I know. <laughs> uh, this is one of the best movies of 1993. This mm. is one of the best movies, like, ever. I feel bad I did not get to rewatch it. I saw it as getting a limited re-release, uh, 4K, and with uh, the 20 minutes that was cut, by the Weinsteins restored. Well, cut by both the Weinsteins and the Chinese co- communist government. Ah, two great right. factions. So, talking of movies that can never be made, China would never, ever make this movie today. So in Ooh. 1993, they were far, far more liberal than they are in 2023 because they have a explicit, written-down ban on anything in any movies or television shows depicting, quote-unquote, unnormal sexual relationships mm. they mm-hmm. c- they do not allow those films anymore but they did in 1993 i know it, it, it's kind of nuts and i'm also shocked to find out this well this this won the palm door it shared it with another movie we'll talk about early next year and it's still the only chinese film this one it can mm. i'm kind of mm. surprised nothing from hong kong slipped in there but yeah farewell my concubine it's sort of it's a historical epic but it's really just it's a very personal story about these two kids who go to you know this like opera training school which those are super intense those are like beyond boarding schools and and they're beaten and one of them is sort of tracked into you play the girl parts and one's tracked into you play the boy parts and the relationship sort of grows and changes over time and then there's like a love triangle and one guy is obviously like they're friends but also he loves them in a different way and they can't share that and then like world war ii happens and then the communist revolution happens and they get like denounced they have to denounce each other and and uh it is shockingly gorgeous it is one of the most gorgeous movies i've ever seen i would 
I have to find out where it's playing on the big screen around here. I really want to see it blown up. I don't know what the hell else to say. Farewell, my concubine. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> well, it's probably more than we'll have to say about either Mr. Movie. Beginning yeah, with and the, we had Mr. Nanny last week. That's three misters. What is going on? Uh, William Hurt, Mary Louise Parker, Annabella Sciorra, Matt Dillon, and Mr. Wonderful. Ugh. So I went, ugh, and then I looked and saw, wait, this is a Anthony Minghella joint. The one between Truly Madly Deeply and The English Patient. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Last week, I hinted that there's a Gandolfini uh, performance this week that is not in an action movie. And it's this film. He's very brief. He's part of the montage of these are all the boyfriends that aren't going to work for you. And he (laughs) plays a normal, average guy. And he looks so young because he's not doing anything violent and he's not being mercenary or threatening or anything. He's just playing a dude. And he looks redonkulously young. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I was... Shocked this weekend, I was talking about Gandolfini's performance and enough said, and like, yeah, sort of like true romance. And my dad said, what's true romance? And my brother-in-law said, Ooh. what's true romance? I'm like, let's solve this right now. And it, you can see he has a, he's a little skinnier, a little more hair, and it's shocking how young he looks. Just, I think, two and a half years before. They filmed that Sopranos pilot like a year before it aired. So it's, mm-hmm. it, 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 yeah. Oh, love our game. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the plot is a guy has to find a Ooh. new wife for his new husband for his ex-wife so he can stop paying alimony. Yeah. And in idea. the end, they get back together. Have, <laughs> have, either, have either of you known anyone who's gotten divorced and then gotten back together? No. But just, just Liz Taylor. I, I feel like it's... <laughs> Kind of a little early for that. I'm not saying it couldn't happen with any of my friends. It just feels a little early for that to have happen. I've known people who got divorced and then, you know, started fooling around with their ex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even that's, that, that is a thing that happens, but I've never known anyone who fully got back together. I mean... I think if you have options, why would you? <laughs> why would you? If it makes more sense, you got kids. Uh, oh, I was so dumb. I'm medicated now. That makes sense, but that takes like years of self, like decades of self-reflection. It's not impossible, but uh, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet or anything close to it. Yeah, the idea of having like being a fuck buddy with your ex that actually makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I understand that. And. Yeah, it's like, well, this part worked. I just can't talk to you. And then uh, the other Mr. Movie, Lauren Tom, Delroy Lindo, Ann Bancroft, Alina Olin, and Dick Gear, Mr. Jones, Sexiest Boy Alive, Mr. Jones. Not to be confused with the Counting Crows song that is out around no. the same time. Right. So this one is Mike Figgis, uh, another director that's like, really? The Leaving Las Vegas guy mm. is making what's basically a rom-com about a very charming man who's very charming because he has severe mental issues and refuses to get medicated okay here we go god damn it it feels early for a mainstream film to be exploring this but i'm not gonna watch it at all i mean i understand it's it is something worth exploring like why would someone with major mental problems not want treatment yes Please explore that. There are reasons that someone would be like, no, I the, the treatment is worse than the illness. Okay, fine. But does it need to be charming? I don't know. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I have a real problem with that. They made the psychiatrist be the one who falls in love with him. And mm. she would have seen so many manic depressive people. <laughs> and there are absolutely manic depressives who can be charming AF when mm -hmm. they're in a phase. And then everything just falls apart when they're not in that phase. But she would have seen so many at this point that she should be immune to it. They should have made her... What, uh, a program for her to withstand the sexiest man alive? People magazine sexiest man alive? <laughs> <laughs> they should have made her a baker or a florist or something where she's whisked away by this amazing person. And then that person collapses while it's the not so pleasant phase. I mm -hmm. recommend not watching this instead yeah. doing what i, I did I would, yeah let's let's skip and go to the the goofier trashier stuff oh this is so delightfully trashy though everlast peter <laughs> green steven dorf jeremy piven dennis leary cuba gooding jr uh and emilio estevez in the unforgettable judgment night my bias maybe a night out on the town. I'll be home early, okay? Promise. A heavy traffic jam. I hate being late! And one wrong turn. What the hell was that? We saw a boy get murdered tonight. And if they catch us, they're gonna kill us too. I get a wife and a little girl. And I will get back to them tonight! Let's show these bones what we got. You better believe it. Emilio Estevez, Cuba Gooding Jr., Dennis Leary. Judgment Night. You coming? Starts. Hell yeah, I'm coming. This movie rules. Uh, I love this movie. It, I think it's it's. We have a couple movies I would title B movies here. Mm. This is like an A plus B movie, though. Yeah, this yeah. is a very good B movie. It's, I I think it's excellent. I agree. I am shocked to see that this bombed at the box office because it, it is what I'd say. The lasting legacy is the soundtrack, which I want to talk Holy to talk about shit. after we get through talking about the movie itself they just explained it bunch of you know guys middle class guys are going out uh on the town in an rv oh the it, the traffic is so bad let's just take the exit and use surface streets oh no we're in a terrible neighborhood oh no we witnessed a murder and now they're chasing us is it it's got like a so warrior's feel they are stranded in the inner city as these idiot yuppies with no phones or wallets and it's just an escape the inner city uh, film. It's hilarious. Mm -hmm. And the sets, it is the sets one of the most extreme escape the inner city films I have ever seen. Yeah. Okay. There are absolutely areas of inner cities where cops are slower to respond. Okay. That's a thing that happens. Mm -hmm. An RV explodes. Okay. <laughs> it goes boom. Maybe, just maybe an exploding RV would get the cops a little quicker than normal. Maybe. And Maybe. Then, and, and, and now that I've traveled a bit since I, I saw the movie when it came out, most of these bad areas of the city, you could leave in a lot less than 90 minutes. Like, it's <laughs> even on foot. Yeah. Uh, the, they're playing... Okay. I played hide-and-seek with my kids, and I can tell you that the age of three and a half... All of my kids have had better hide-and-seek skills than these grown-ass men. Because they're on the run from Dennis Leary. And they're like, oh, well, we ran 10 feet. Now let's just stop and hide in here instead of, you know, going further. If they would have just booked it, then when the scene when Dennis Leary is knocking on a bunch of random uh, containers... 
that would be him being crazy because who would be stupid enough to stop and go into these random containers? These guys. And then they're stupid <laughs> enough to start talking when the man with the gun is looking for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, this uh, I had not seen. I don't know if I'd ever seen this entire in its entirety oh, and watching it. it was a lot of fun. It makes a really good double feature with the movie I talked about, I think, late last year, Trespass or early this mm. year. Trespass is kind of the same vibe of like, this is a really good B movie about getting trapped by gang members and you being super out of your depth. Yeah, I it's kind of adorable. Like, it is adorable, but it's, yeah. It's the- amazing. <laughs> I love the film. It's 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 up there with like toy soldiers. It's like those like weird 90s action movies that I think should be beloved, but no one ever talks about. So, so the soundtrack, which Holy shit. Every, every white boy I do had this soundtrack. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure the soundtrack sold more tickets, sold, sold more than the movie sold tickets because it Definitely. is all big. It, it's all punk, hard rock, metal team ups with rap groups. It's, it's... 100%. There is an oral history of it for Rolling Stone. It was a lot of fun. It was brought together by like Cypress Hills manager who was 22. Yeah. He's a, he's a bebe. It's, it's and just the idea of like, everyone loved Aerosmith run DMC or uh, Anthrax and public enemy. And then a bunch of these bands met each other and spent time together out on Lollapalooza. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, yeah, shit. No, let's just work together. Okay. Sonic youth and Cypress Hill. Sure. It, uh... What the fuck? fucking uh, helmet and house of pain uh onyx and biohazard that had the most radio play and so every time i think of this film i think of onyx screaming judgment night because nobody screams a chorus like onyx and yeah and it's it's just if you look at the soundtrack there are 11 songs but they've doubled their appeal by adding like putting completely different mud honey and sir mix-a-lot uh, Faith Represent no more. Represent Seattle. Slayer Ooh. and Ice T. Faith no more and Booyah Tribe. Dinosaur Junior and Dell the Funky Homo Sapien. Like it's, <laughs> it's pretty brilliant. Like I always thought it was. Um, I liked uh, hip hop at this era, and it's it's totally on the rise. But I thought the yeah. last few remaining white people who buy soundtracks, let's br- we'll bring you in with uh <laughs> the teenage fan club, <laughs> and and that's that itself has Tom Petty samples in it. It's mm-hmm. it's. The soundtrack is so fucking weird, and it's the kind of thing that makes you a YouTube superstar today. And there's eleven tracks of this weirdness. It's not all great, but I, I double checked on this. It has been re-released on vinyl. Hell yeah! Which nice. of course it would be. I think it was a record store day thing a few years ago. I thought about picking it up, not for forty dollars, but uh, yeah, it was nothing like this had ever happened before. It was pretty much just the Aerosmith Run DMC thing and uh, Anthrax and yeah. who was it? Um, uh, public enemy public enemy yeah and it, in that uh, oral history i forget who was talking about like rage against the machine was huge but pretty much just in la and mm-hmm. what is it that they do i mean aren't they combining punk and hard rock and rap mm-hmm. and and you know the obviously like the the grittiness of punk but with a whole lot of rap tool is starting to do that too so maybe this is a trend let's catch on <laughs> and it's like well it's not a trend it's just fun yeah, it's and it it's it's sort of like an 
a, a pop culture branch that didn't necessarily go anywhere until the 2000s when this is until just how 2000. mainstream rock radio sounds now. Yes. Uh, but yeah, they they beat new metal to the punch by about seven years. It's it it it's pretty incredible. And like this, like in every community when I was young, everybody knew what Judgment Night was, mostly through the soundtrack, because it was yeah. it was a pretty incredible way to get. You can get twenty two artists that you like for the price of one album. <laughs> twenty two. Uh, it's incredible. just such a bizarre fit to become like a seminal album. Uh. I I only noticed later. I'll I'll tell you which movie. Soundtracks aren't totally a thing anymore, but it w- they used to spend a shitload of money because if you can get a music video from this album in rotation on Friday night videos or MTV, you have endlessly demanded commercial time running for your film over and over again every hour. So the, a ton of money was spent on that. I don't know how much money gets spent on soundtracks nowadays. It's not nothing because they, you know, Barbie had a kick-ass soundtrack of new stuff written just for the movie. But it, the movie in the next the next segment reminds me, like, yeah, this is how big soundtracks could be. You could capitalize on the success of your movie and capitalize on the music industry to promote your film. And th- and most magazines couldn't stop talking about this. Uh, it was pretty interesting. Um, all right. And then, uh, but Judgment Night, I think, is a phenomenal little film. Um, very, yeah. very good. I, I wish, yeah. 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 I, I got no problems with it. It, it kind of cracks me up. <laughs> it's like, I start watching, I'm like, this is starting the same way as Bonfire of the Vanity. <laughs> and I, I, I got the Dennis Leary character confused with, I didn't know Demolition Man and this were a week apart because I probably discovered them on home video or an HBO uh, airing. But the next movie, uh, what is its legacy? Uh, a movie you it probably none. A movie none. you don't remember based on a show you remember even less. Dolly Parton, Rob Schneider, Leah Thompson, Diedrich Bader, Erica uh, Aleniak, Dabney Coleman, Lily Tomlin, Cloris Leachman, and motherfucking Jim Varney in his only starring role outside of the character of Ernest P. Worrell, the Beverly Hillbillies. Hey, Jed Clampett. You just struck oil and made a billion dollars. What are you going to do now? I'm moving us to Beverly Hills. He was fixing to bite my hand. That's real nice, son. It's here's what I carry. On October 15th, 20th Century Fox, and the director of Wayne's World, Watch your ass, Danny. Bring you the Beverly Hillbillies, rated PG. Now play. At- oh, so did anybody want... Because... I was shocked to find out, like, you can't even rent this. It's Why a- would you? What is the market? Everyone who liked the Beverly Hillbillies is dead. Beverly Hillbillies <laughs> is... The show, JR, is streaming on Prime. So Amazon thought it was in their interest to buy that whole series so people could watch it. But the movie, like, to not even be available I to rent... I guarantee you... The guy at Amazon did not say, let's buy the Beverly Hillbillies explicitly. It was a package deal with like a hundred other shows. And it was like, I vaguely Uh. recognize that name. Fine. Well, guess what? I never loved this movie. I haven't watched it in years. This movie. Uh, Uh, No, I laughed several fucking times uh, where you're supposed to laugh. There are plenty of funny fucking moments in this movie, which, by the way, is a Jane Fonda-less nine-to-five reunion. So there's that. It's got that going for it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. It it does have a couple things going for it. No, it doesn't. 
There is. I don't know how they translate to any other audience besides the the audience of 1993. 30 okay. years later, the casting is really good. Totally. All right. I, All I, right. I, I give you that. Dietrich Bader is really good. Cloris Leachman's only 67, but, you know, she already feels like she's 140. Uh, Lily Tomlin as gay icon Miss Hathaway. That's pretty <laughs> cool. Uh, even even uh, a solid Rob Schneider performance, dare I say. And Jim uh, Varney doing something really big that's not earnest. This will never happen to him before or since. He's yeah. n- never had a role like this. And uh, they, nobody wanted to cast him. Did a screen test, and it was kind of undeniable. This is our Jed Clampett. Yeah, and I, obviously. I, I know Who about the, the Beverly Hillbillies through like pop culture osmosis. I never... Really, I remember flipping the channel every time he shoots the ground and oil comes out uh, when it was rerun forever. But I got to say, it, is this the last appearance of original Buddy Epson? I think it's his last Gosh. film appearance. It's it's the best cameo of any one of these movies. That That is a joke that's like, well, this is completely lost on half the audience yep, in 1993. Yeah, yeah. So they have, you know, Oh no, Granny's been kidnapped. They're trying to steal all our money. We need help. Let's go to Detective Barnaby Jones, which was another show. A show you would from, remember even less than Beverly Hillbillies. From the 70s, but starring Buddy Ebsen, who played Jed Clampett. Instead of playing Jed Clampett's dad or some deep shit. cut. It's awesome. Exactly. That's a really deep cut. Who in 1993, internet less 1993, is going to be sitting in the theater and going, Ah, yes. Well done, movie. I, I, I remember I note of this the adults laughing their heads off. About the uh, Beverly Hillbillies cinematic universe. Yeah. But, the, like, the, the, the target audience for it, their parents are going to get that yeah, joke. Yeah, the adults laugh. I saw this, go in, to this in the theater and the adults laugh. And I will also say, even in the 90s, a depiction of people this hillbilly is outdated and silly. Yet it is unoffensive or these people are like the Amish and I just can't hear them complaining and they can't see the movie to complain about it because the car they drive is from the 1920s and it's a 70 year old vehicle in them. Like their depiction of, of these Hicks are like snuffy Smith level turn of the previous century. (laughs) Right. Because even in the 1960s, these hillbillies were outdated, you know, Mm -hmm. by the 1960s, your grandfather was the one who came from the farm you are very separated from it. And so there was all this hillbilly comedy and uh, they really went big on the cheesy hillbilly sitcoms, but it was out of date at the time. But and it also, 30 years later, it's even more so. It makes it timeless and inoffensive. <laughs> like there's no one really right. to offend here. I could not believe how I am smiling. There are some ton of bad groaners in here. But some of the stuff super works. I had no real positive memories of it. And I, dude, I'm giving it a thumbs up. Not recommended as much as Judgment Night, but I had fun with the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, my. That's a bold claim. I, I, The most fun I got out of watching this film was listening to Siskel and Ebert desperately try to fix it. It could have been handled just like in the credits, like they did on the TV show. Then I, I know I would have picked one character and really told a great story about him or her, maybe something we wouldn't have guessed from the TV show. This version always takes the most obvious approach. The result is pure boredom. All they've done, if you think about it, is remake the big pilot, remake the TV pilot 
for the big screen. I sat there appalled. Yes. I hated this film. Yes. What I was disappointed about more than anything else was that Penelope Spheris, who was a hip young director who can make Wayne's World, you got would it. then totally throw in the towel and make this movie, which is essentially just a remake of a dumb TV sitcom with no uh, taking advantage no of attitude. any opportunities to satirize Hollywood, to satirize the Clampets, uh, to bring something new. This, you know, this could have been a made-for-TV okay. movie. Why not? Come on, they had the shotguns on the freeway. That's a uh, that's an LA thing. You don't see a that's lot of other places. All I remember uh, <laughs> is just watching those previews and going, "Yes, I've heard of these LA drive-bys, and you have a shotgun, so you and win." I thought Jim Varney's retort, "That's a mighty fine gun. Here's mine," and pulls out a giant <laughs> shotgun. It's a good joke and a, a good yep. delivery, and and I was shocked. It is just the Adams family. And but I have no nostalgia yeah. for for uh, Beverly Hillbillies, and these guys are complaining. It's a pilot we've all seen before, motherfucker. I've never seen the Beverly Hillbillies pilot. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I sort yeah. of know what this, this show is about. Yeah, we will be talking about in less than a month's time, Adam's Family Values, which has roughly the same plot. No, well, they all, both Adam's yet, families do. Oh, yeah. Well, no. The first one isn't about a woman coming in and trying to seduce her way to their money. This is true, but it, it, there are multiple people trying to seduce the yeah, money out of the people trying to steal, trying to come up with ways to steal their money. Both Beverly Hillbillies and Adam's Family Values is the major plot of a con artist woman trying to marry someone to steal all their money. Gosh, uh, Adam's Family was such the only good movie to come out of the trend of let's remake. 1960 it's sitcoms. it's because of sonnenfeld and the look because the tone is exactly the same here it is a bunch mm. of vignettes based on things you barely you remember about the show remade gags of, okay but they're good vignettes they are. these are not uh adam's family is is markedly better for sure but i was astonished taken aback by but remember i'm the guy who liked coneheads and y'all made me feel crazy thank god we had yeah. some comments in, in the facebook group like nah jr and diane are way out of line here coneheads is wonderful <laughs> uh, you got no respect for the snl comedy alums mm. unbelievable how uh, dare you i i i i can't say i'd recommend it as much as judgment night but i was i did not think i'd even in that clip the tra of the trailer when Cloris Leachman's granny is knocked off by that tree, it is so violent and like and like not cool. She the woman lands on her head. You see her neck break. <laughs> it's it's so crazy. Anyway, Beverly uh, Hillbillies. No. Everyone here recommends it. We're putting our reputation on it. <laughs> I'm I'm with Siskel and Eber and just being like, I knew Penelope Fierce was just taking a paycheck on this, but come on, man. It was a very like she was pigeonholed. In making, uh, he can make movies about people who like rock music. Therefore, she should make Wayne's World. Wayne's World comes mm. out. She should do every shitty comedy from Paramount and Fox, and would keep yep. that became her career. Which I think, even when you hear her talk now, was never in her wheel wheelhouse at all. Wayne's World <laughs> got her the job, so I don't know. Fake it till you make it. Speaking of TV, let's move on to it. Nineteen ninety three, October thirteenth through the nineteenth. Ugh, Danielle Steele perfect delivery device to bring us a message from nam <laughs> yeah not who you expect uh this is the story of a female reporter all throughout the vietnam war following the lives of uh, all the people the war changes okay and a little then, something different for her sure 
Two big episodes of uh, all-time classic shows. Simpsons, Homer Goes to College <laughs> is yeah. out this week. Uh, yeah. this, this is such a perfect episode because it's all about how Homer thinks he's a fictional character. Mm -hmm. Okay, Homer is a fictional character, but he thinks he's a fictional character in one of the movies just like this. We now return to School of Hard Knockers. Starring Corey Masterson. Dean Bitterman, I hope nothing unsavory happens during my visit. As you know, I am the President of the United States. Oh, don't worry. I've expelled those rowdy members of Chuggalug House. Oh, I hate that lousy Dean. <laughs> Wait, shit. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I had a weird experience throughout college, and I was always like... Yeah, my experience is not living up to media depictions of this either. Never yeah. did. Yeah, but I still... So I was part of a fraternity, and for me, it was an incredible growing experience. Uh, it really was a fabulous social uh, place that I really got a lot from, and we never did anything that I saw in any of those fraternity movies, and I've always yep. wanted, like someone to show my fraternity experience on film and mm -hmm. I've, I've never seen it i've only seen school of hard knockers yeah, I, <laughs> I went to a college where i was felt like the only student whose parents didn't give them any money so i need to i can't do anything outside the cafeteria i can't go anywhere you guys are going i can't eat off campus and everyone was partying off campus and didn't get to do any of that and then i went to college in my hometown and just didn't develop those relationships you do when you're fully away from your, uh, from your friends and family. Uh, mm. But yes, this is a fun episode. Self-contained makes college seem a lot easier than it is. Homer is done in like 17 minutes with the entire yep. collegiate experience. But it does have a song of self-praise. Yes. That I sang literally yesterday, not knowing this Ooh. was coming. I am too smart. I am too smart. I am too smart. I am too smart. S-M-R-T. I mean, S-M-A-R-R-T. It's, it's like that overshadows that he's lit his college GED on, or his GED on fire in the whole house. God, Simpsons is great. I've quoted that for 30 years. Mm. Anytime I do something stupid, I just say what Homer just said. It is perfect in all times. And I heard a rumor, and I didn't have time to confirm it, that it was improvised, that uh, the actor said it wrong and then fixed it, and they loved it so much that they kept it. I mean, yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's how he got the job, I think. Dan Castaneda was a uh, – in, improv was his trade. He's yeah. the only person I believe to be animated live, <laughs> taking phone calls from the country. Oh, wait, that probably <laughs> happens on Twitch every day now. Uh, equally famous, maybe Seinfeld, the Briss episode, the Briss. Oh boy. So, Briss's uh, are weird. Like I'm saying this is a Jew, but Briss's are weird. Jason Alexander had very similar thoughts. It was, you got to go a long way to hit my Jew button. <laughs> I give you Jews are funny and you can be really sacrilegious with me and I'll take every Jew joke you got, even the borderline offensive ones. To a non-Jew, the whole practice of the circumcision, the bris, is mysterious and kind of distasteful. And to present 
the figure of the moil, the person who goes, I'm going to be the guy, my life's work is going to be to remove the foreskin from the genitals of young Jewish boys. That's what I devote my life to, is already a person of questionable character to the non-Jew. <laughs> and to make one who is a child-hating, self-loathing, foul-mouthed, incompetent, to me was um, anti-Semitic in a hurtful way. And I went, Jesus, oh. all right. Yeah, and uh, he asked to be in that episode as little as possible. And if you watch it, uh, George is not in it much once uh, the bris happens. Now, Diana, as empress of all Jews, both past, present, and future, yes, um, did you have a problem with this episode when you first watched it? Not really. I mean, I thought it was. I mean, I thought it was funny that the Moyle's just such a dick. Oh, he's like, hilarious. I, I did rewatch it, and it is so funny seeing this guy be an insane, scary man and knowing that he's yeah. going to do his job. Yeah, and it's like that. that is a very specific trade, and I think some guys get into it just because it's you have you're the one who does it like you are trusted to do this on this tiny baby and i've i've been to brisses and they have like a little thing that sort of clips it off and then they have a little scalpel and they dip, and it's like you barely even know what's happened who wants calamari um, yeah pretty much and and then everyone eats a deli platter i i just i find that we're all standing around watching this uh, i find very strange like we could just have a shower that the baby is here and the burst happened over there. We all have to watch it. I don't fucking get it. I guess it's to welcome them to the community. All right, whatever. But yeah, that's like one of the first calls you make if you have a boy and you're Jewish is you got to book the moil because there aren't that many of them. There's probably one, one or two in like your area. So the fact that they have this very specific thing they have to book and this guy is such an asshole. All right. I'm gonna... He's terrible, and he's someone that you're trusting to do this to your child. Um, local moils near me. Holy shit! That is not <laughs> that is not good. Uh, I see one in Miami and two in New York. <laughs> Those are moils near me. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then the B story on this is uh, man pig. Man pig. Man Kramer pig. is sure he yep. saw a man pig. Yep. Yes. And it turns out to be just a man with uh, facial deformity. <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. rude. Don't call him man pig. Oh, and then let's lastly, let's get into games real fast. Video games in 1993, 10 years, 30 years ago. Um, what is it? October 13th to the 19th. Dinosaurs for hire for Genesis. How can you go wrong? I've always wanted to hire a dinosaur. Uh, platform shoot it up you can be archie lorenzo and reese which do you think is the tyrannosaurus which do you think which one is the the triceratops uh lorenzo is the triceratops right wow i know my games or 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 that's the the most the most ethnically coded uh, dinosaur we all know this (laughs) (laughs) i i just i don't feel like Thunder Lizard God goes up in my mind with Archie. <laughs> Should have been a Thunder Lizards game. Just make that. Uh, but it's hard to keep track. Well, I can, so I can hire these dinosaurs for what? Day labor? Uh, lawn care? Ooh, uh, maybe a bris. I'm not going all the way to New York. <laughs> uh, mercenary stopping world domination. God. As you oh. do. Yeah, uh, yeah oh, okay. They got a great track cool. record for that. 
Other things I lost track of, the Gauntlet series, because Gauntlet 4 on Genesis, like, what the fuck? I think I played Gauntlet 2 and then moved on to Legends. These are totally lost to me. Yeah, Gauntlet 1 was always my white whale of an arcade game, mm-hmm. because I was into D&D at a young age, and Gauntlet was as close as you could uh, replicate that in a 1980s tech environment. And I'd play it in the arcades and I wouldn't get far. And I always had this dream that one day I'll get a whole bag full of quarters and I'll beat the game and I'll see like some type of cool ending. But by the time I got old enough to uh, play Gauntlet as much as I want, the medium had moved on. (laughs) Like playing every single level of Gauntlet sounds so boring to me. Mm -hmm. Just like (laughs) incredibly dull. It, it so, had that interesting uh, renaissance when they added in that four-player arcade functionality. It became an arcade mainstay well after its day, like over a decade later. But I, I do think this is like one of the first console games I've ever, I remember playing. And it was at my uncle's house when he was dating my aunt. I had never played a video game at home before, and I think Gauntlet was the first. I don't remember yeah. what platform. I I. Do not want to play it today, but I wish I had the memory of me being eight and beating this game. I have other fun memories. So weird. Remember you dated that mountain climbing stripper? Uh, we also have <laughs> Haunting starring Polterguy uh, for the Genesis. Polterguy. Why is the game not just called Polterguy? That's a great name. It sounds like a fight lost in the marketing room. <laughs> Polterguy. <laughs> this has a kind of a dark story story you are playing a teenager who dies due to the defective skateboard by a businessman and so as a ghost you are seeking revenge on that businessman for your teenage death by haunting him and tormenting his children who as far as i could tell had nothing to do with your death (laughs) (laughs) and described as yuppie italians (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, also out this week, uh, Landstalker, The Treasure of King Knoll, and uh, Ranger X. Which one's best, Jared? Uh, it's, it's a tough decision between I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> uh, but I have a notable comic book thrown in here. Uh, very notable. Batman 500, the 64-page giant Nightfall. Chapter 19 written by Doug Mon- Monk. Monk? Don't know. But uh, this is our debut of Bane, is it not? Uh, No, this isn't his debut, but this is when he breaks Batman's back. It's a hard Oh, yeah. I definitely know that image. Mm -hmm. Good Lord. Yeah. And that's what Bane is by far most famous for. I mean, more than anything else, it's the guy who broke Batman's back. And Batman has to retire for a while because it's comics. He comes back. But, you know, this is part of the early 90s trend of event comics. Superman dies, someone dies, and we get to redo the comic with someone new. Batman's back dies. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Read it somewhat recently. Uh, Let's go. Let's close out the segment 1993 with music. Uh, Dream Lover by Mariah Carey is still number one. Other new releases include Silhouette in Red by Bonnie Tyler. Uh, Together Alone by Crowded House, Counterparts by Rush, Enter the Stage by Black Moon, Inhaler by Tad. Hey, Tad. 
Uh, Mexican Moon by Concrete Blonde, Plantation Lullabies by Michelle and Deggy Ocello, a self-titled album from Possum Dixon, I'm Alive by Jackson Brown, Aurora Gorealis by Letters to Cleo, Eleventh Song by Deep Blue Something, uh, which has the immortal Breakfast at Tiffany's uh, song, but that won't be a hit for another two years, oh my god, uh, and it's on Dr. Dre, 187 Umkilla by Eazy E, uh, his answer to The Chronic, that was a much shorter lived feud than I thought it was. And, um, well, ECE is not well. Yes. Also, this might be one of his last albums, if not his last one. Yeah. Uh, never, yeah. Because he, he, he had AIDS. Yeah. It wasn't fair because it didn't have the radio play that Dre's album got. Because I don't oh, even really God, know what no. EZ's, uh, response to Dre was. Because by the time, next time I heard them in the headlines, he was visiting him on his deathbed. Mm hmm. And they yep. put they put the feud to rest. Um, but we will close out with which song you picked, Diana? Well, I mean, you talked about Judgment Night, the theme song by Biohazard Onyx, which is pretty good, and it does have that same scream that made me think of uh, Mortal Kombat. Yeah. But another body murdered by Faith No More and Booyah Tribe actually like charted in the UK, and I yeah, think it's probably a better song. So let's hear that one then. That's uh, we'll close out with some uh, Booyah Tribe and Faith No More. I'll never be able to say that again. So please enjoy. There's a lot more coming up in the next segment. Don't go anywhere. Cause they get hard and hard and that's real. And once you jump with it, with your eyes got to kill another body murder. Bang your head to this. Another body murder. Do you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. The 1980s were the golden age of mean hard R comedies. I think I was remembering my sanitized commercial television viewings because, like, Beverly D'Angelo's naked for, like, no I, reason, and I totally forgot I about that. I had forgotten all about that because yeah. th- that shocked me, too. I was like, wait a minute. she We see her boobies a couple of times. I don't remember that. This might be a fact. This is the fourth National Lampoon movie? I yes. was shocked to find that out because there's two I have never seen or heard of there, in between Animal yeah, House. Two that are kind of lost. One of them's called uh, National Lampoon Goes to the Movies. And Class then, Reunion. Mm, Class Reunion. Yeah, that's right. I think this is the last movie that where it's clearly defined, like Harold Ramis is involved in this in some way. Like we have some DNA of people who yeah. worked in National Lampoon magazine. Mm-hmm. And now it's just kind of like anything goes. Now well, it's kind it, of like stoner frat comedies, but not always. They, it's really they, the company doesn't exist and they sold the I name. Think- to put on shitty movies that are like already being made, I believe. And they just, they'll affix the National Lampoon's, I guess the R is for the the magazine's reputation itself. It was pretty Hmm. fucking edgy for for its time. Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on patreon.com slash laser time. Yeah, man. 
gonna come with me because you look so fine that I really want to make you mine. Coming in with uh, Jet, Are You Gonna Be My Girl, off of Get Born. One of my least favorite songs ever. What? I love this song. I do not. I found it very, very annoying. Uh, Like, someone your parents' age trying to do an impression of the Strokes. But, primarily... Uh, I think you mean the Kinks? Primarily. (laughs) Primarily, because, uh, bleeding off a little bit of news... This is the week, we hinted at last week, where iTunes launches on PCs. Basically, iTunes being available to a majority of music listeners is this week, and this is the song that launches those commercials, if you remember. Oh, yeah. Those commercials, I saw referenced all the time. Oh, the silhouette era of uh, iPod? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just iPod commercials at this point. You know, it's a... Long time since I've seen a commercial referenced. I, you know, I always, uh, it, the, you must have some premium services, JR, because like in, in the stratified media landscape that we live in, commercials might be the only unifying thing people will constantly understand. See, I, I just disagree. My kids barely know what a commercial it's, is. Like when we go to a hotel, they're fascinated by commercials it's true. because they don't watch them. <laughs> it, it, no matter what you're doing on TikTok, TikTok, you're never going to see an ad for the general car insurance. Save some time! <laughs> it's just not going to happen. But uh, yeah, commercials, For I remember for a while we would we got the same YouTube ad for like three months and that's that became an inner office reference because we were all seeing the same thing. We weren't watching the same things. We went home. Why am I getting in on this? I haven't even read it off the, the new music from 20 years ago. October 13th to the 19th. New releases include The Curse of Blondie by Blondie. Uh, Unfi and Carta Teps by Celine Dion. That's probably French, right? Um, yep. Blackberry Bell by the Twilight Singers. Buckethead's Land 2 by Buckethead. Comfort Women by Michelle and Ocello. Will she become a Coast to Coast 30 2010 <laughs> champion? Coral Fang by The Distillers, Ember uh, to Inferno by Trivium, Hard by Jagged Edge, uh, Long Black Train by Josh Turner, Measure of Man by Clay Aiken, The Movie Album by Barbara Streisand, 13 by Mushroom Head, and Accelerate by Jump Fly. Bad Boy by Beyonce featuring Sean Paul is number one. Yeah, you like how I, I wrote out Celine Dion's French title as phonetically oh, as possible. Please. It still doesn't make any damn sense. Enfi en quatre types. Uh, a little bit of news to bring you the wonderful world of 20 years ago in 2003. Pinnacle fitted on the roof of Taipei 101, a 101-floor skyscraper in Taipei, allowing it to surpass, uh, what is this, Petronas uh, Twin Tower in Kuala Lumpur by 50 meters to become the world's tallest high-rise. They put a hat, 101-floor skyscraper on hat on their building? Yes. <laughs> what the fuck? This is always been such a big dick measuring contest who can build the highest tower you generally don't do that because it just doesn't make economically sense we could spend double the price to make this 10 percent higher or we could build two other towers that are equally as good but this one held the record for almost 10 years the one that beat it is in dubai Mm. and today and it's 163 stories. And I think that record's going to hold for a good long time. Yeah, it beat it by more than 1,000 feet now. That's the Burj Khalifa. It's got a Tom, it's got a Tom Cruise hanging off the side. He can't yeah. miss it. Yeah, I, I mean, don't. There's no reason to go to 160 stories. Yeah, no one's going to have the kind of money Dubai has 
<laughs> spent in, on ostentatious shits. I can't imagine no we'll see reason. anything bigger than that. And if you do, riot, revolt, uh, leave that place. Uh, also, mother of Mother Teresa of Calcutta is uh, but beatified. Is that a word? Beatified. beatified. You're a Catholic, I, dude. I got beatified. dunked. I don't know anything about any of this horse shit by Pope uh, Pope Johnny P too. Uh, beatified. What is beatified? She became a saint. You know oh. how they're saints. So I know the saints she's... of Newark. There are many of them. This is all I know. Well, saints are real people in Catholic tradition what? who were blessed by God and are therefore part of the Catholic. Uh... Why do they never make it to the Super Bowl? End jokes. Um, <laughs> everyone looks frustrated with me by that attempt at a joke. Yeah, but uh, every once in a while, you'll see something go around Twitter going, did you know Mother Teresa is not perfect? Here's a bad thing she did. And absolutely, people are flawed. You should absolutely learn how your flaws are hero. But what I always hate to see is the people who go, this hero is flawed. Therefore, I should never try to do anything good because there's no perfect goodness in the world. No, there's not perfect goodness in the world. But the amount of good that she did is pretty damn amazing. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'd really yeah. focus on. Yeah. Also, beatification is the step on the way to becoming a saint. She was You're right. I'm sorry. Became a saint in 2016. No, I had to double check that because I know that there's like it's a, there's steps to the mm -hmm. process of yeah. Now she is Saint Teresa of Calcutta. Mm. Well, and uh, and we missed her feast day in September. Uh, Okay, well, let's move on to the movies anyway, because ooh, there's some fun ones to talk about. Good Boy <laughs> with Leah Macon, Molly Shannon, Kevin Nealon, and Matthew Broderick. Did you know dogs are from space? I did. <laughs> <laughs> they came here to uh, conquer the Earth, and they're coming to check on that progress, and it turns out that, like, um, you were supposed to conquer the Earth, not become pets. What are you doing? Uh, yeah, and all the dogs talk, and... You could make a, a fun satire out of the idea that dogs are from space and, and they just didn't conquer us. They just became pets. Yeah. I mean, this is for, for little kids, with, yeah. you know, little talking animals. And like everyone compared it to Babe and it was like, Babe was, the talking was so much better. This is stupid. But it's about dogs being from space. <laughs> you didn't like it in the cat from outer space. Why would I like it with the dogs? Filled with such great puns as the dog star Cyrus 7. Uh, uh, they come from the dog right, star. Right, they come from the dog star. Because they're dogs. Yeah. The leader is the greater Dane. Also out this week, uh, Syrian Hines, Gerard McSorley, and Kate Blanchett and Veronica Guirin. A biopic about an Irish investigator who's taken on the drug trade. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And then I saw it was directed by Joel Schumacher. And I was like, this ain't going to work. And it kind of doesn't. <laughs> Because he's not a man of subtlety. Mm. Never, ever was. So, like, she's good in it. But she's, you know, crusading journalist. And I was like, give me something unexpected in here, please. Something. Testament to how much people like Joel Schumacher. Like, uh, clearly we can't let you anywhere near a summer tentpole again. But here, make a billion different kinds of movies before you die. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. Hey, you know who else has made literally a billion movies? And yeah, he, and die. Uh, and this one might have been his most—I don't know—award showered. I think it's up. It's up there with Unforgiven. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think more so than um, a million dollar Babi. 
Mm. You got this one starring Marsha Gay, Harden, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, <laughs> Laura Linney, Kevin Bacon, Tim Robbins, Sean Penn, uh, all with unforgivable accents. It's Mystic River. I know in my soul I contributed to your death, but I don't know how. The truth will come to the surface. No more lies, no more secrets. Critics are calling Mystic River the best movie so far this year. Very essence hit. Remarkable, a powerful film. It is a masterpiece. Do you anything bad? Just one little choice to change our life. Mystic River, a film by Clint Eastwood, rated R. Ooh, um, yeah, didn't. I, I feel like I've been. I'm on podcast giving this movie a ton of shit that it probably doesn't deserve. It's very good. I, I Clint Eastwood, a guy I want to hate, but I can't. He's very good. <laughs> and I really like his movies for the most part. And I didn't love this movie, and I didn't so much love it. I, li- I liked it more watching it 20 years after the fact. I didn't think it was awesome, mm-hmm. but I didn't think it was bad either. Yeah. This to me is just like, this is not as good as Unforgiven. I'm not going to put it well, up there no, with that. No, it's very interesting that we just talked about Prisoners, which mm-hmm. has a lot of sort of the same vibe yeah. and is about some of the same things. But this one comes from it at it from a very a different direction. It's based on the Dennis Lehane novel, and there is something that feels very novelly about it, mm-hmm. like because there is so much weird moral complexity going on. Right. But it's yeah. So this is based on the novel by Dennis Lehane. And it, it definitely feels like a novel and that the characters have a, a certain level of complexity. And there's also a lot of moral ambiguity. Um, but yeah, it's not a movie I got a lot out of the second time, except wow, that's really well done. Yeah. Because it's, you know, about a couple different things. Mostly it's about just this neighborhood uh, in Charlestown outside Boston where, Back in the 70s, these three guys were kids, and then one of them was abducted and sexually abused for several days. And now they're all grown up. One's a former criminal, one's a cop. And everyone, like, mistrusts the shit out of each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think I feel, I, I did feel like in watching it, if you were reading this in the book, there's a lot of details that they would probably have given you that are just kind of abruptly thrown at you here as terms of plot twist if you can call them that but it is kind of a nice hey there's a cycle of violence and in the city and you're a part of it whether Mm. you know it or not and yeah and basically you're helping perpetuate it and everything is worse at the end a real bummer like how no one knows how to deal with this guy getting abused back in the 70s and and you know the way like when they finally when when the kid escapes and comes home and the way someone says like, Oh, I think he's damaged goods now. And it's like, no one can deal with this. No one wants to talk about it. No one can cope. He can't cope. Nobody is coping with this horrible thing that's happened. And it just festers and festers until years later. Oh, well he must've done something bad. It explodes off screen. (laughs) Yeah. It it explodes in all these different ways. And, and just the, the, morality of what everyone like obviously you want to bring a murderer to justice but also like are we rushing to judgment have we even thought this out is everyone lying to themselves and everyone else like yeah, as a murder mystery it's pretty freaking good too it's yeah. very frustrating yeah it, i was all i was a little upset like it's not streaming anywhere 
and yeah. I caught an, I grabbed an SD version of it. And this, I remember the movie at least looking really good. So I denied oh, myself yeah. that. Uh, yeah, one of the better looking Clint Eastwood movies, actually. Uh, oh, yeah. Is this the beginning of like Hollywood's little love affair with Boston that goes into the 2010s? <laughs> like, is it too, I'm like, was it too expensive to shoot in New York? Because we got a lot of Boston crime thrillers for a while. Uh, this is good. I just really didn't get movie of the year. Like, what did you get from this that you would want to show this to everyone you know? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is because it's about such heavy stuff. It can be a tough watch. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like we just talked about with prisoners, like, what am I going to get out of watching prisoners a second time? Well, a lot of it's just appreciating the performances. Everybody yeah. here is just doing an incredible job in ways that like, I usually when I see a movie like this, I think about the ways it could go wrong. And yet people make fun of Sean Penn's performance because so many ads had that. Is that my daughter? In this? He's got one of the better Boston accents, but Lawrence Fishburne, someone should have just sat him down like, dude, just be you. We don't assume <laughs> you grew up in a Boston neighborhood with that accent. Most people don't uh, for yeah. black guys. Just let it go. And he doesn't. And it's like, it's like dude, stop talking like that, Fishburne. Jesus. Larry. Larry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't call him Larry. He'd come for you. Uh, not a bad film. But like uh, I learned, I, I appreciated a little more second time around knowing what was going to happen. And uh, mm. uh, didn't get to the second one. Because this is one of those latter-day Grisham uh, films, am I right? Um, mm-hmm. And Rachel Wise, Dustin Hoffman, Gene Hackman, John Cusack in Runaway Jury. You know what it is? Jury duty. They hired him to guarantee a verdict. Everybody has a secret. Find it. Now, there's a man on the inside. Who's next? Nicholas Easter. Go ahead and take it. And a woman on the outside. Hello, Rick. You can call me Marley. Hey, phone, 15 miles away. Who won't play by his rules. The jury's mine, and I can push it either way. For a price. How did he sound? Rich. This girl is an amateur. I want you to find her. You're losing me, my jury! On the way, jury. Rated PG-13. October 17th. I was pretty. I, I was shocked by how much I liked the firm thirty years ago, but like, man, no other Grisham stuff really holds my attention that long. I well, feel like this, this is was it. the second best one. Is it? That's a well, a time to kill. Speaking of Schumacher and lack mm. of subtlety, uh, definitely is watchable as hell. But this might I, be the best, second best one. I think it's up there because Chris, let me try and sell you on this. Please. This is a heist film. Mm. Cool. It's just that the heist is the jury. It's all about a guy trying to run a con to manipulate a jury to get the result that he wants. Mm. And you don't learn it until the end why he's doing that or uh, how it all running ends away. Up. How rural is this jury? Uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah, I I like it has a a lot of twists and turns. It also has like a lot of questions of, you know, moral ambiguity of like, should you do an immoral thing for a moral reason? Like is it, it's like, if you knew a guy did it, but you're worried he's going to get off. Is it okay to bribe the jury to send him to prison? I mean, it's not actually about that, but it's like, well, wouldn't overall justice would be served by you bribing people. Is it worth doing a bad thing for a good outcome or a good mm. thing for a bad outcome? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, and, and it, it kept me guessing where it was every time I thought like, Oh, I 
bet they're going to do that. Yeah, they went a different direction. Yeah, okay. So not counting Christmas with the cranks, but <laughs> how many like lawyery John Grisham feature length movies do you think there are? Uh, well, I just looked it up to try to think of, is okay. there anything that, that would be a better number two? The Rainmaker, maybe? How many are there? I'm, I want to know. Oh, only about seven. You know, okay. it's it's not as many as I thought. I just recall these coming out there were, all there were, the time. There were one a year yeah. after the firm, and then they kind of yeah. stalled, petered out. Yeah, I, I still think though Netflix should just write him a check for the rights to all of them mm. and just have it be a series. It's John G Grisham presents, and then every year it's the firm, Pelican Brief, updated for modern audiences on serial idea. television. It's not like there's less lawyers than there were back then. Plenty of an audience. Yeah. Plenty of audience. So, yeah, I think. I guess this is this. Is this the last one then? For two, if this is two thousand three, the rest of them are all like nineties. Pelican mm. Brief, Gingerbread Man, The Chamber. Yeah, but I know they. I know the studio bought this before it was even written. They, <laughs> they gave him six million dollars on an option wow. for your next book, whatever it is. Wow! Wow! And it turned out to be yeah, pretty good one. I. I yeah, mean, I was sort of pleasantly surprised. It may have picked the wrong week because the number one movie at the box office, I don't think most people were expecting. No. Uh, pretty huge. Arlie Ermey, uh, Eric hey. Larson, Mike Vogel, Eric Belfour, Jonathan Tucker, and the first thing I ever saw, Jessica Biel in. It's number oh. one at the box office and makes a shitload of money with no budget. And we have a very special guest star in the ad. I'm oh, so we? happy. Yeah. The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths. <laughs> For them, an idyllic summer afternoon. Is anybody home? Became a nightmare. The events of that day were one of the most bizarre crimes of American history. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Rated R. <laughs> so it's the only original cast member. Yeah, yeah so John Larroquette. Back way before he was famous, they hired him to do the voiceover for the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I love that they got him back. That was adorable. He says that he got paid in weed to do the original yeah. voiceover. <laughs> Uh, but this is the start of the Platinum Dunes That's horror remakes. Hinting at because yeah. th this is Michael Bay creates Platinum Dunes to make for even for twenty years ago, kind of micro budget films like stuff under ten million dollars. So for this to like come out swinging at like a hundred and twenty million dollars in the American box office, incredibly profitable, and it they really don't reach the, these heights ever again. I think this is the best remake, though, out of this film, Amityville Horror, Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning, The Hitcher, Friday the 13th, and A Nightmare on Elm House Street. House of Wax. All oh. remakes. I think this is the best remake. So, yeah, I, I, I organically right. uh, kicked off Halloween season a month ago watching with some buddies the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which if I've never said, I'm not the biggest horror guy i saw that movie for the first time in my 20s and i think texas chainsaw massacre is the closest thing to a masterpiece that the entire horror genre has it's i've still yet to see the it's original. amazing growing Ooh. up it was out at my local video store and that was my only place to watch it for whatever reason they had the cover mm -hmm. but 
they probably just lost the VHS yeah, or the probably. VHS just never got <laughs> Somebody returned. Somebody stole it. Yeah. And I just was like, still not in, still not in. So it was this film that I'd heard on the plane uh, ground. It's like, hey, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You hear those words and you instantly have an image of what's going to happen. It, yeah. So this, I am a gigantic chicken and the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a movie that I have watched. Even though I'm a giant chicken, it's because I took a film, a, a class in film school on horror films, trying to desensitize me and make me less of a chicken. Watching that on a big screen did not help me. Oh, it's so because much because it is, it is wonderfully done, because and it is so fucking disturbing. I don't know how those actresses have the ability to go in to work every day and spend the entire day screaming. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how they do that. So I wussed out and did not watch this because its reputation is it's actually pretty good, but it is way That's, gorier. The, the, the thing it has going, the biggest thing it has going against it is you are remaking the Citizen Kane of slasher movies and they take liberties and they do different things. And it's, it's, it's very palatable to watch both. I say that as I didn't think I'd be, I'd watch both of them within a month. And I can't say this is bad. I do feel it's a little unnecessary, but there's a ton of stuff to like about this, including my favorite aspect that the, the cinematographer is the same. No way. Yeah, Daniel Pearl, I believe his name was. He was working with the director of, what is it, my, Marcus Nispel. He made like basically every Mariah Carey music video you've ever seen. Boys oh. to Men, uh, Michael Bolton. Uh, and yeah, like... Talked him in. Yeah, if you have it, if you can produce this, you should direct it, and I should do the cinematography. And the cinematography is one of my favorite things about the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm -hmm. All stark daylight for the most part, and yeah. uh, where in this movie, like you know, my opinion leans on the darkness and internal sets a little more, but it's very pretty and very well done, and ups the violence in a way you should in a modern remake. And yeah. I, I want to tip my hat to Mr. Arlie Ermey. That is <laughs> perhaps the greatest character actor of all time. <laughs> He'll always be, Sergeant Hartman has, will always be his best role. has one character. He even calls <laughs> Jessica Biel a maggot in this. Like, <laughs> where are you going, maggot? Uh, this is the Do you cool think he ever like, looks back and goes, ah, if I hadn't taken that role in Full Metal Jacket, could I be doing Shakespeare? No, he was never an actor. It was no. like the second phase of his career. He lucked into a much more lucrative industry by being on set for Full Metal Jacket. And yeah, it, yeah I think he was tremendously happy with how many roles he ended up getting. But I do, he was always the guy who's on screen for no more than 20 minutes, except for here. He, this is like his biggest, longest performance, his second best performance, I'll call it, because he is filled... It's not the same kind of menace as the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It takes a long time to meet this fucking family uh, for the remake. But, uh, yeah, it is totally not bad. And I can see why they, they – but they really triple down into the, like what – what the, what the world will remember about Platinum Dunes I don't think is this. This is a little bit more of a thoughtful remake, and the rest of them were just like, Hey, under a million dollars, we got we got a temporary celebrity in here. Let's crank them out three a year until you're sick of watching them. And people were, and mm. people, <laughs> they did I, so I did, many. I did watch a nice behind the scenes making of thing on how they got 
the one shot I know from this that was mm-hmm. special to this one versus any other version, because there are now three movies called Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Two have the on them and one does not. Um, this shot where they're all in a van and it's the, the camera is up by the driver and the passenger and then pulls back to the people behind them then pulls back to the person behind them and through a hole in her head yeah. <laughs> and then out the back window. And they did that with an endoscope oh, <laughs> like cool. they used for colonoscopies. Fucking red. That's really clever. I, I, I really appreciate that. It's a really pretty movie to look at. And I was pretty astonished by how savage it was by modern critics. But like mm. modern critics, I mean, critics 20 years ago, a lot of whom aren't with us anymore. So but I mean, in their defense, either they have no knowledge of what Texas Chainsaw Massacre is or have all the knowledge and both are strikes against this movie for critics. They were really mean to this. But JR, uh, you're, you're like, this is pretty e- cool, right? Yeah, yeah. Ebert 100%. gave this a zero. Yeah, zero. He, he very That's not rarely fair. does. That is not fair. He, he thought it was just too torturous and gory. And it's just, I, it, torture, torture porn hasn't become the genre that we're going to talk about yet, but we're getting there. Mm-hmm. And I think he saw it as, as like that. Of just like this is just suffering for the sake of suffering and grotesque. Lest we deify Mr. No. Ebert too much, I didn't in his review. He's like, he starts questioning the idea of anybody wanting to watch this, and like, now you're getting silly. Yeah. Uh, there's millions of dollars behind this being made. Of course, people want to watch this. Um, what are you talking about? They don't make movies <laughs> that nobody wants to watch, and its success is like it, it is a runaway success. It like. How do we make more of these? Well, it's pretty hard to sequelize, as as uh, Toby Hooper already showed us. Mm-hmm. I, I, for one, though, on Ebert, am shocked that in the 10,000 reviews he did, he said something stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think this movie is pretty good. Do not watch it instead of the original JR, but uh, as a supplement to it, I kept looking for things to hate about it, and I didn't find much. Really didn't. Mm-hmm. Text Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Uh, every other one, though, other than two, <laughs> stay away from. And uh, never even bothered with any of any of them. Just mm-hmm. like no, why? Why would I go back to that? I don't. I don't know what a sequel could do that feels more like oh crap, I'm watching a snuff film like the first one. <laughs> And but you did watch Silence of the Lambs, which is it's it all comes yeah. from the same source material. Ed yeah, Gein. I know. And which is so I, weird. I like I love it. It's based on the story of Ed Gein. This this remake takes enough liberties. Not a single thing is rooted in reality depicted in this movie. Not one <clears throat> thing. Uh, yeah. at least the other well, one had he, that. He wore skin yeah. that he got from people he killed. So technically, yeah. Sure. Uh, all right moving on to tv tv of 2003 pretty light except i i did see and i started watching it vh1 ill illustrated a animated vh1 sketch comedy show about vh1 what delightfully horrible (laughs) delightfully horrible to watch uh with sketches such as spongebob Spongebong hemp pants and his friend Hashbrick. Spongebob trying to get weed. It is like something you would draw on a notebook that someone put a very modest budget animation budget behind. It is 
Whew. Uh, but other than that, what else? It, it, most of the stuff is JR is going to have to handle because I have not seen Angel. The Angel episode unleashed. It's a pretty solid episode. This is the best season of Angel. If you're only going to dip your toe in it, I think you can skip the first four seasons and start here and be fine. This is a great standalone episode where a female werewolf is being hunted by a restaurant to be served as a delicacy. Oh, mm. <laughs> okay. And, you know, Angel's a vampire who reformed and he feels very guilty about eating people. This is a woman who turns into a werewolf and eats people. So, you know, they have a cool conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the episode Exile from Star Trek Enterprise, which all you... As far as I can tell, this is the very first time Star Trek was broadcast in high definition. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's way ahead you of know. the mandate, too, so interesting. Yeah, but it's Star Trek, so if someone's going to go yeah. geeky, it's going to be them. Yeah, I mean, look how look how good they did the original series by shooting on film. Still looks very cool. Um, yes, and then in video games, 2003, 20 years ago. Oh, my God. How much, how much free time did we have? How did I play most of these? <laughs> Kirby's Air Ride for GameCube underrated yeah. they should really remake this especially the city trial mode i think they had far more freedom to play around in kirby's air ride than they do than they do mario kart you know mm -hmm. mario kart's their bread and butter they're not going to really go wacky but on this one there's some modes that i'm like that's not as polished as it could could be but give it another two or iterations and up res it to 2023 standards i think that could be really popular yeah it's weird uh, kirby's what do you want to call them offshoots often don't get another chance he's got a, he's got so many gimmicks they never really go back to them uh and then jack 2 on ps2 the darker gritty sequel to jack and daxter open world game and then um i think the last mega man game i played for a very long time Mega Man X7 for PS2 is out. The end of the X series, I believe. And it comes out okay, the same... Okay, is this hmm. when it stops being 2D and starts only being 3D? Uh, yeah, the X series took a lot of 3D liberties. And it do it looks cute, but it you know it just isn't Mega Man. Uh, I think that the last one they tried that with. and the, But if you wanted 2D, you had Mega Man Zero 2 on GBA, which is a gr another great... Mega Man game that's fully 2D, starring only starring Zero. Um, also out this week, Spooky Season, The Haunted Mansion on GameCube, PS2, and Xbox. The movie that is terrible is coming out in more than a month. What? Why are you putting out a Haunted Mansion movie a month after Halloween, and why are you putting out the game this far in advance? Well, I mean, games have longer lead times and it's uh not always possible to get a day and date with the movie but they also made the decision that this has nothing to do with the movie yeah i forgot uh, about that's that. a smart decision because eddie murphy wouldn't uh, play along uh, uh and a game i've never uh, heard of but demands to know more about judge dread dread versus death uh, uh pc first Windows. person shooter but it's fairly on rails you know you go from mm -hmm. level to level make I... an open world sandbox judge dread game you know just be a judge in mega city one 
I mean, I, that would be super cool. I feel like it's yeah. it mostly is because I'm American. I was into comics. I didn't, but I wasn't into Judge Dredd comics. Didn't know anybody who was. My introduction and slamming the book on the character was the Sylvester Stallone movie. <laughs> Yet, if, when I talk to when you talk to people from the UK, it's like pretty sacrosanct. And I fell in love with with Dread 3D. Um, and would love to see more of that character. And his pinball game is pretty great, too. Well, let's close out of this with uh, Walked Out of Heaven by Jagged Edge, because Diana said so. And <laughs> it's out this week. It's a slow jam. It did way better on the charts than I remembered. You know, the usual reasoning. Well, I pick something. Close it out with that. Uh, but stay tuned. We got one more segment in the barrel. Don't go anywhere. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of October 13th through 19th, oh, yeah, oh, fun stuff to talk about. Let's start with 40 years ago this week. saw the release of Rumblefish, which is Francis Ford Coppola's other adaptation of an S.E. Hinton novel. He just did the back-to-back with the, the Outsiders and was just working with Hinton on his days off filming that to make another cool coming-of-age film about, you know, teenage hoodlums. Uh, this time, Matt Dillon, Mickey Rourke, Vincent Spano, Diane Lane, Nicholas Cage in there again, Dennis Hopper. Like, it's just full of fun people. And honestly, those, those make pretty good double feature. I think the outside's probably a little bit better, a little bit more well-regarded generally. But yeah, Rumblefish, I, I quite like as well. And then 50 years ago this week, 1973, saw the release of, let's start with, a huge hit this year. It's probably your mom's favorite movie, The Way We Were, with Barbara Streisand and Robert Redford, which is like the sappiest romance ever filmed. But it's like so watchable. Like I just I hate I hate romance just in general. But <laughs> this is a movie about like long, slow looks of this like mismatched couple who, you know, through the years of, like, they meet before World War II, and then they meet during the war, and then later, you know, he becomes a screenwriter, and he gets blacklisted, and, oh, will they ever be able to be together when they're so different? Well, the song says, maybe? No, the song says we should cry a bunch and look dewy at each other. But, yeah, the way we were. If you want to see a really good romance, there you go. Also, the same week is Charlie Varick, which is a, a... crime film that's another one of those it's like Walter Matthau was a movie star how did that happen oh yeah and then you watch this and you're like oh I, I get it he's like a former crop duster who's like robs a bank with his buddies and it turns out that they've stolen like mafia's money and now the mafia is after them and it's all like noiry and thrillery and what is Walter Matthau but he's like gotta be pretty tough it's it's good it's directed by John Siegel who did uh, well speaking of Clint Eastwood uh, Dirty Harry and that kind of stuff. And then finally, also turning 50 this week, Mean Streets, the movie that introduced the world to Martin Scorsese as Martin Scorsese. Because most people didn't see Who's That Knocking at My Door, which is basically a student film with all the Scorsese stuff is already there. Mean Streets 
it's all already there too with a budget this time harvey keitel robert de niro who is basically an unknown and like every time he pops up on screen you're like well that guy should be a movie star huh even though he's playing an extremely unlikable person because <laughs> they're criminals because they're in little italy doing criminal stuff and being tortured by their catholicism what in a scorsese film i know right but yeah if you haven't seen mean streets it's it's all there like everything that you like about any scorsese movie even the non-gangstery ones it's all fucking there already man so yeah you should absolutely go check it out if you're just sort of like shrug i don't know it's no good fellas dude watch mean streets it is a solid solid movie and it's hard to believe that it's you know whatever he's he's a kid so yep that's it for this week stay classic I got my batches and cookies. 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 Got my batches and cookies. I got my batches and cookies. I got my batches and cookies. I got my back. Remember that gooey gooey you took and said ooey ooey. I need two or two of these for my baby booey. I think she's trying to imply bitches there, and I am offended. No, it's clearly batches and cookies bringing us in by Lizzo. Her debut off of Lizzo Pangers. Motherfucker, I thought Lizzo I could claim as a new artist I knew about. And now <laughs> I learned today she is 10 years old. Um, her debut is 10 years old. Weird. Still still rocking that flute, though. <laughs> you can't get that flute away from her. Welcome to 2013, 10 years ago. Other new music releases include Lightning Bolt by Pearl Jam, uh, Living for the Weekend by The Saturdays, Magpie and the Dandelion by the, Everett Br- the Avid Brothers, <clears throat> Let's Be Still by The Head and the Heart, Self-titled album by uh, Icons of Fire, Last Patrol by Monster Magnet, uh, Better Together with Fifth, by Fifth Harmony, Moon Landing by James Blunt, uh, Prism by Katy Perry, and Aftershock by Motorhead. Whew, a lot of dead people in there. Uh, Royals by Lord is uh, still number one. Only bit of news we have to bring us here is a celebrity couple, Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, Mary, and they're still together. Aww. 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 Watch them work out their relationship issues in Hit and Run, the movie nobody liked. Uh, Movies of 2013, Gravity's still number one at the box office, um, but we have some new contenders here, (laughs) none of which are going to beat Gravity. But uh, Kill Your Darlings with Daniel Radcliffe, uh, Dane DeHaan, Michael C. Hall, Ben Ben Foster, and Jack Houston. Wow, is this an interesting thing to make a movie about? It's Ginsburg? Yeah, it's... It's about, yeah, Dan Radcliffe plays Allen Ginsberg when he went to college. And it's a lot of it's about being like, what's it like to be in college while goddamn World War II is going on? And also you're gay and you're a poet. Uh, but it, like hanging out with all these beats and, you know, William Burroughs and Jack Kerouac and his like cool roommate guy who's like, they're all like beats and stuff, except his roommate has this stalker. Uh, this is all based on a true story. They fudge some of the details, but he's being stalked by an older man, and there ends up being a murder. Murder. It's like, is it, it, it? I mean, it's still very much up for debate. It was like, was this a relationship? Was he a stalker? Was this like a gay panic sort of thing? Uh, you know, uh, and they kind of leave that up for you to decide on your own. They, they. Like I said, they fudge things a little bit. So you're like, well, it seems like a stalker, but back then, how how do you how well, do you how do you meet guys when you gay? And most boys in love are depicted as stalkers in 1940s entertainment. He just wouldn't yeah. let up. <laughs> yeah, like and that's a good thing. It's like I, 
your parents sent you to a different private school and I followed you there. Mm. Could be romantic. Oh boy. Could be terrifying. Liked it. I, I was really surprised. I mean, this is stat cast and I feel like the beats can be kind of hard to depict. Like either like, well, like we talk about CBGBs. This is the beats and the punks have a, a lot in common where it's like, is this just going to be a Wikipedia article? Or are we going to get into the characters? What are the characters? What What is anything? What are the beats doing? What are you rebelling against? Why are you so angry? And <laughs> like they show both the good and the bad. Punk is against some things and for some other things. And some of those things aren't great. And some of them are really great. Mm. Yeah. No, Kill Your Darlings was, uh, I was kind of pleasantly surprised. Like, yeah, I, I meant to. Yeah, I haven't, <laughs> haven't seen the beats depicted in a very interesting way. And yeah, this did it while also being about murder. And then we have uh, what? I'm in love with a church girl, Oof. starring Ja Rule, Adrian Bailon, uh, Vincent Pastor, Toby Mac, T Bone, Michael Madsen, and Stephen Baldwin. Ugh. I just wanted to throw this in here because yeah, it's a, a Christian movie for a Christian audience, but that that combination of people in this cast is so crazy, and it's about a drug dealer who then falls in love with a good Christian girl and that makes him be fix everything in his life. He becomes a pastor. That's uh, an interesting uh, career trajectory. I'm sure there are some pastors who have been drug dealers. It's just okay movie. Okay. You know, if he just knew that Jesus loved him, he wouldn't have been dealing drugs. Nope. And a movie I definitely didn't watch. Uh, Dan Stevens, Carice Van Houten, Alicia Vikander, Peter Capaldi, Stanley Tucci, David Twellis, Anthony Mackie, Laura Lenny, Daniel Brühl, and Benedict Cumberbatch in The Fifth Estate. The Assange What a fucking movie. cast. Yeah, I know. What a great fucking cast. Uh, speaking of how reliable are biopics, mm-hmm. <laughs> according to the person this is about, not at all. According to most other people, pretty accurate mm. according to yeah. everyone else who fucking can tell anymore so listeners this is about wiki links this is the social network for wiki links yes Wikileaks. oh it wants to be social network really bad yeah does it succeed mm. i mean it's not because julian assange is a complicated weird person even if you're a fan of his you think he's a complicated weird person and it does show us that everyone at WikiLeaks types in matrix rain coding. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's how they were so successful. But I don't know. I think the fundamental problem is there's a lot of idealists out there who that think that once the people, capital letters, hear the truth, capital letters, they will all slap their heads and say, "My gosh, I was so wrong." I agree with you completely, and now we will never disagree at Thanksgiving, cousin Oliver. <laughs> Unfortunately, I just kind of wanted like a lengthy debate about the morality of leaking information and who it can hurt, mm. and and whether or not that's fair. I mean, if you leak a spy's name and they're murdered, don't do you have a responsibility for that? Well, what if they were yes. like a spy who was evil like well that's a moral judgment if you leak the names of people who belong to a white nationalist organization and some of them lose their jobs was that fair or not Sounds I, fun personally, to me. I'm gonna go with, yeah i think that's fair but there's 
people would argue, no, it doesn't matter what your beliefs are. If you are, leak a communist organization and those people lose their jobs, is that fair? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's all up for debate. And there's, I just feel so complicated about the whole thing. And I kind of wanted a movie that was a little more complicated, I guess. Mm. It, yeah, it we, we never see attempt. anything negative from any leak. That's right. not something this movie ever visually shows us. Right. E even something like Chelsea Manning going to prison. It, it, you know, is it worth it? I don't know. Yeah, no. Julian Assange is weird. I mean, and Benedict Cumberbatch nails that. Is is the way he, he seems interesting, but also off-putting at the same time. Yeah, no, he did a good job. And a very different idea of what the mainstream public wants to see. Because I think since I've learned... More about Julian Assange, I want to hear about him less. And like mm. Disney is distributing this, DreamWorks is mm -hmm. making this. This did you really think this had global mainstream appeal? <laughs> this film? Well, this is Disney's last R rated film for about six years. Wow. After this. Whoa. Yeah. Um, Good lord. Um, yeah, it's a noble attempt, I feel like, but I feel like there's I don't know. There's there's more to it besides kind of like with Facebook. If, if you made a movie, not about the founding of Facebook, but the effect of Facebook and you spend all your time on Zuckerberg's personal life and it'd be like, nope, mm -hmm. the, the issues are bigger here. <laughs> well, so the fifth estate, yeah. Hard pivot into the action movie in air quotes, uh, 40 years in the making. When you can't top line your own film, team up with your old adversary. Amy Ryan, Vinnie Jones, 50 Cent, Vincent D'Onofrio, Jim Caviezel, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Sylvester Stallone, both in Escape Plan. It's the most advanced high-tech prison ever built. We need to know it's escape-proof. When do we start? He's hired to break out of prisons. Someone wanted this place tested. You don't look that smart. You don't either. But this assignment is a trap. The people who paid for you to be here want you here forever. On October 18th, we can punish or put you here. To find the truth, they must find a way out. I'm going to burn this place to the ground. Let's do it. Escape plan. Rated R. October 18th. Yeah, Arnold is uh, 10 years before this. He's just settling into the governor's office of California and had been in Expendables movies, but in kind of glorified cameos. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is, he's still not in the movie as much as Sylvester Stallone, but like, uh, no, he's I'm not in sure the why he's movie. this part. This, it seems too small a part for him. Uh, I think that's what he was gunning for at the time. And, and I swear, I swear to God, there is a scene where Sylvester Stallone is his back is to the camera, and I swear it's a stunt double. Like, why did you just for your back? They are old, is what I'm saying. Like, if you had issues with a new indie, it's almost the same with having these two guys star in an action movie. This, unlike Judgment yeah. Night, is an example of a this should have been straight to video. This is a B movie all the fucking way with like kind mm -hmm. of a crazy cast. And but it's, it's not our number one movie for the week. It's not even the number two movie for the week. No. It's the number three movie of the week, and that's with Sylvester Stallone. It opens at four. Oh, it wow. opens at four. It Jesus, opens at four. And that's you know Sylvester Stallone, Arnold. I remember in the eighties, this would have exploded mm -hmm. if you could have somehow came up with a script that both their agents would have agreed with. 
it could have been so so huge but by the time it arrived the audience had moved on yeah. and action's a young man's game mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. if you look at war it's not generally speaking people in their 70s fighting it okay it and, should uh, be <laughs> and our oh. action heroes are meant to represent uh a idealized warrior ideal that is not conducive to aging. Yeah. yeah. This is a movie for guys in their 30s or 40s. Like, if, if it were someone in their 20s, it would feel too young, this idea. But, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's a solid B-movie premise of what if there is a scary prison... That even the, the, the head of uh, Escaping Ink can't get out of. Um. <laughs> yeah. Right. The they tricked him into getting here so he'd be locked up forever. He'll show them. He'll show them all. Also, the idea of being imprisoned by Jim Caviezel I is... Can, I feel it. The greatest nightmare I have ever known. I, I, I get the feeling for 90 minutes on uh, once a year from a 30 2010 episode. I have to watch a shitty Christian movie with him in it. Mm. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, the whole plot is we can't kill these guys. We need to keep them alive, but we can never, ever, ever have a single one of them escape ever, make the best prison of all time. And by gosh, he did it by reading Sylvester Stallone's book. God damn it, Rommel, I read your book. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's okay, you know. Yeah, it, it's okay. It's, it made four times the money it made domestically internationally mm -hmm. yeah. so this was huge in china and that's why there are sequels to this movie i was shocked that there's sequels to this film but chinese audiences liked it even cheaper sequels to this movie yeah, even cheaper yeah it's it's just under like a b-movie recommend for me because it does have some like in, i don't know it's an I... interesting place to set a movie interesting place to go with it but yeah, it's it's very little action. Yeah. If that's what you wanted, no. I'm I not. thought it was cheap, and usually they make up for that in violence. But yeah. I feel like this is made with like it's going to air on cable forever. No, mm -hmm. uh, no, it is not. No. And uh, mm. yeah, well, not. You know what? Uh, going back to the old well of ideas, we have our second horror uh, remake out this week. Uh, Michelle Nolden, Cynthia Preston, Alex Russell, Ansel Elgort, Judy Greer, Portia Doubleday, Gabrielle Wilde, Julianne Moore, and Chloe Grace Moore Moretz. Look what I did. I did it right this <laughs> you time. You did it! I did it right this time. Thank you. Uh, it's Carrie. Carrie, do you understand what's happening to you? <laughs> Mama, if I concentrate hard enough, I can make things move. <laughs> she is such a freak. I want to be normal. There are other people out there like me who can do what I can do. If you are planning some kind of joke on a poor, lonely girl... <laughs> there will be a judgment, Carrie. 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 A movie I think I can firmly say did not totally need a remake, but it's a little more valiant to try. I think it's important there. Oh, this is a much better remake yeah. than uh, 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but the original Carrie is a much better movie mm. than the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, I know disagree. how important it is to the history of horror, but as a movie, I think the original Carrie uh, is I like really widely regarded. I watched it for the first time for this viewing. I've never uh, seen either of these films, so I just back to backed it. I watched wow. the original one and this one, wow. and it was tough for me to say which is better i know that's going to get a lot of flack because uh horror fans will say the original was perfection and i will say it's very good don't get me wrong this isn't a case of oh this is so much better it's like one of these is a eight and one's an 8.5 yeah that's that's hmm. why i i uh i i love carrie's fandom and i think part of that is i described in hocus pocus my spooky ladies out there didn't get a whole lot of fun horror stuff to latch on to. So you really latch on to the good shit and carries the good shit. And, mm -hmm. and what I, what I always remember more than anything about Carrie is the fucking angst of high school. Ugh. That's totally worthy of being updated. There's there, there is a different story to tell in, in that. And they update it with social media. They have, so the famous scene from Carrie, mm -hmm. uh, one of the two famous scenes anyways, is, Carrie is raised by a very, very insanely religious lady who doesn't tell her that periods exist. And she has a period for the first time at a late age in the shower, and she thinks she's dying. And all the other girls make fun of her, both in the original version and this version. But in this version, they record it and they post it on social media. Ugh. And so that's an extra layer mm -hmm. of uh, humiliation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I didn't get around to watching this. I do love the original Carrie, and yeah, as being a, a truly brutal depiction of bullying, and then the bullies getting what's coming to them. Uh, okay, that's pretty. Cool. Yes, the bullies get what is coming to them, but, but so does everyone. Carrie, else. <laughs> Carrie is a magical school shooter. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. what she is. Oh, uh, there's one scene in the remake where there's a girl who is. Uh, sole interaction with Carrie is to tell her that she has a beautiful dress. And then when she learns that she made it herself, she's like, Oh my gosh, that's so incredible. You're so talented. That's her entire interaction with Carrie and Carrie burns her alive. <laughs> uh, yeah. Chalk it up to new powers. Yeah. Well, yeah, but so I, I did read a bunch of reviews and people were like, yeah, this is okay. You know, obviously we, we're going to have some more digital effects with her powers instead of we can actually, you know, show her pick up a car uh, or stop a car instead of just, you know, the, the, the telekinesis of Sissy Spacek looking funny and then a thing <laughs> happens. Um, I like the casting of Julianne Moore as the mom. Yeah, I, I, I believe her. And, and, uh, yeah, following up the great uh, overly Christian redhead Moms, uh, after Piper Laurie, cool. I can't but... prove it, but I think uh, Chloe Grace Moretz is the only reason this movie exists. I'm sure the remake was sitting around for years. It's not even the first remake, uh, but you get someone of that age that people want to see, that age, that talent, bam. Carrie. Yeah, but that's a further problem with this film, mm. okay? Carrie in the books is chunky. She's acne covered. She is not a pretty woman, and Chloe is gorgeous. You know, you can put her in a frumpy outfit, but that is still a gorgeous lady. Mm. Mm. That's a good point. Sissy Spacek, at least, is 
distinctively strange looking as a teenager. Yeah. That, yeah, you can see her uh, as an outcast immediately. Because she's weird, man. Yeah, she looks like Kevin Bacon scary. now. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, I... I was I was hesitant, but then I saw the reviews and like they they got it right. It sounds like in in the adaptation they understand what the real themes are because it's also it's directed by Kimberly Pierce who did Boys Don't Cry, mm. and it's like if someone's going to get teenage angst, I, I guess I trust her to do it. So, but but leaning a Burn little, them. yeah, <laughs> uh, Burn them. yeah, and then but making a little more of a tragedy out of the whole affair than just something mm. spooky. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I haven't seen this in a while, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting to note we have two remakes that we didn't totally shit on. <laughs> that, will <laughs> that will not always happen. That will not always happen. Moving on into, into television, uh, 30-2010, I don't even know what this is. Uh, 2013 TV, 10, uh, October 13th to the 19th, the VNUF Halloween special. Uh, WNUF, my bad. Uh, Halloween special. W-E. This was released only on VHS in 2013, which <laughs> brass balls on you, sir. But yeah. it's a mockumentary about a you know 1980s television channel uh, Halloween special with all the newscasters, and then. Uh, you get a haunted house where the spirit murder board happens, the psychic powers and all that. Uh, it's it's an interesting attempt. I'll give it that. Mm. Uh, also this week on CBS, uh, We Are Men ends. And what? <laughs> what is this? Uh, so a man is left at the altar and he moves into a short-term rental complex and makes a friendship with three other divorced men. Yeah. So it's it's uh, moving on with your life sitcom. All I can think of is that British puppet just crying, we're normal men. We're just <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Thundermans debuts on Nickelodeon. I'm going to guess that is a show about a family of superheroes on a channel I didn't have. You, you guessed. Bam. Yep. Bam. And now more towards... Really, thirty twenty ten e here. Uh, Detective Munch, John Munch, turns in his badge uh, as Richard Belzer makes his last regular appearance on Law and Order Special Victims Unit. He had played the character yeah. for two decades, dating back to the original, a different show, <laughs> Homicide Life on the Street. Yeah. Oh, it turns out he, he does. Been... He does make a, a guest appearance here and there. Oh, of course, yeah. But, but as a regular yeah. cast member, he, as he a was regular a, weekly cast member, a yeah. 20 year cast member of these series. Yeah. It's, I'm shocked. He stuck around that long. Can you imagine what he was being paid? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. He's got to show up for two scenes, stand next to ice tea and be like, well, that's messed up. Richard Belzer <laughs> used yeah. to be known as a comedian. I don't think our generation younger, if they know of him at all, do not know him as a comedian. No, yeah. unless they watch Scarface. Yeah, <laughs> but but Belzer is the I would say the most important link in the Tommy Westfall universe, supposedly because yes. he has played that specific character on so many dang shows. <laughs> because it started on Homicide: Life on the Street, which is an amazing show. Then he's on uh, Special Victims Unit, but he also makes you know appearances playing the same guy on like Arrested Development. And the, the Tommy Files. Westfall, 
the X Files, right? The the Tommy Westfall universe is based on the idea that the last episode of Saint Elsewhere, it is revealed that it is all in the imagination of a kid named Tommy Westfall, mm-hmm. which means anything that crossed over with Saint Elsewhere is also in Tommy Westfall's brain. Hell. Anything that crossed over with that, anything that crossed over with that, and and that's how. The Andy Griffith show is in the Tommy Westfall universe. <laughs> 24 is 90210. The Adams family hanging with Mr. Cooper. He's got a Sesame Street puppet. Well, <laughs> yeah. So Sesame Street is part of that kid's imagination then. Yep. I mean, we all are. So is Party of Five. So are both the UK and the US versions of The Office. Jesus. That kid has one <laughs> hell of an imagination. Oh, That's he was in the very Brady sequel, so the Brady Bunch is in him as well. But is yep. he is he Munch in that? Yes. I think so. Okay, cool. I think he is. I mean, yeah, like yeah. I think that was. I think I want. I like to remember him because he he passed away like just a year ago or so, right? Not um, even a year. Yeah. Uh, he was a comedian, so like funny people reached out to him, and because he's a fellow funny person, he always sort of said yes. And, mm-hmm. But most people don't drag their actual aren't don't have the clout to drag their actual character along with them. It's pretty crazy when you see David Duchovny guest star and stuff. He's not Fox Mulder. He was John Munch in all of these things. He's that's yep. his name on screen in Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is who he's playing. Yeah, exactly. It's hilarious. It's amazing. One episode of The Wire. Uh, man, another. Uh, incredibly notable television thingamajig for South Park fans out there who have seen six days to air. I mean, and for people like me who are, you know, sort of a one man production operation, power goes out for a day. Not good. (laughs) And uh, that's what happened to South Park at uh, South Park studios rather. Uh, And they were unable to finish an episode for the first time ever. Uh, Goth kids three dawn of the posters (laughs) Uh, ending a, I don't. I don't remember when. I think they said after the movie they they discovered that process. The conception to airing takes six days for South Park. It's why I think no matter what you think of it, it's an interesting institution in how it distills what's happening right now into entertainment days mm-hmm. later. Um, yep. And, it, and a seventeen year streak is broken because they could not make it. And if you've heard Trey Parker talk about it, like every episode starts like I'm a failure. I can't do this. This is going to be the worst one ever. This is going to get us canceled. Uh, every week they think something's, they're not going to be able to get an episode in there. I think I remember one time they weren't able to get the music in the episode. So it, the episode is oddly silent. And then when it re-aired at like 3 a.m., the music was in there. <laughs> uh, but that's how, that's like how under the wire South Park is running. And mm. but yes, we get a re- rerun of the classic episode. Scott Tennerman must die instead. And pivot over to the CV, C, the CW, a channel I don't have. Rain debuts there. Rain with an R E I. I do want to meet the mad CW network executive <laughs> who looked at the demographics of the CW and said, you know what? Let's make a historical drama about Mary, Queen of Scots. <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see when they were purchased? They did release their demographics, and it shocked everybody. Yeah, the average CW know. viewer is fifty. Wow. <laughs> because that's network television. It's, it's and it's young for network television. Yeah, <laughs> fifty. So they love teenager shows. Crazy. Oh my gosh, it's it's that is weird. But I'm seeing that. Okay, the White Queen was already out 
but that's over on stars where they can have an obligatory sex episode like they have obligatory sex literally every episode <laughs> and and that's also you know british monarchical history but with like sexy teenagers and sexy young adults mm, and they God. make it as sexy as possible you know game of thrones we, we it's popular it's been out a couple of years now yeah mary queen of scots life was actually very fascinating but it does not need a a teen drama version of Oh no, Henry II of France has died. What shall we do? What does this mean for the House of Bourbon? Um, and who will take me to the prom now? It's the ball. Yeah. Four seasons, though. This went on for a while. Well, I mean, just like the Tudors and the Medicis and those, all, those other shows, but those, those are on cable where you can have tits and blood. <laughs> Never heard it weird. described as that's what you can do on premium cable tits and blood. Give tits us the tits blood. and blood. Yeah. Uh, and, and a story that I, I find fascinating and even at the time didn't realize how much more important it was. Keenan Thompson, 10 years in to his stint as an SNL cast member, uh, says he refuses to play any more black women on Saturday Night Live. And uh, yeah. I don't... Good on him. I don't remember him backing like the demand. I demand you hire more black women instead. I think he... Uh, I'm sure he might have, but I thought it was just a quiet protest to support the hiring of other people. For In order for SNL to exist, I'm surprised they didn't diversify further. The The figures we're going to be talking about as the future well, goes on are going to be exceedingly less white. There, there needed to be more the, representation in the writing room and the cast. SNL is such a product of the monoculture in that you have to make something about what everyone knows about yeah and in 2013 everyone not everyone of course but a disproportional people on television are white mm -hmm. and that's still true today but it was a even people, more a people who are running for office are white exactly but as that becomes less true they, they need to get that more diversity to play like the news is so much more monoculture yeah. now because it's like everyone knows the news stories but not everyone is watching the same television shows. Right, right. And, and just I, the idea that SNL's first Asian cast member is in the current cast. <laughs> and, 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 and that if you remember, they didn't, they didn't, uh, well, Rob Schneider might count, but they didn't, they cast, in all those Star Trek sketches from 75 for the next 30 years, it was their lighting guy playing Sulu. <laughs> um, <laughs> An actual Asian guy, I forget his name, but it's, whenever you hear him talk, it's like that is not a media professional. Oh my god, <laughs> it's and it's hilarious every time. Uh, and then moving on to games, and fuck it, Alien Rage is out on Xbox 360. Who cares? Stanley Parable is out on PC, which is one of the few recommendations I could give to even Diana. What a fucking crazy game! This is a game I have played, but Jerry teased it last week as being a game about nothing that's a walking simulator and that's wonderful and it's not the one i thought you were talking about oh what did you think i was talking gone about? home i thought gone home mm. oh yeah, which i've also played which is also wonderful and uh, awesome. they, they have the, they have the overlap of just like this is technically a game but really i feel like this is a story being told to me in unfolding interactive chapters Exactly. So many times when we play video games, the 
point is the gameplay. You know, the creators of Doom uh, have a famous famous saying, uh, story in a video game is like story in porn. Uh, you can throw it in if you want, but no one really cares about it. And Sort of there. This hmm. is when we really are seeing the transformation, the indie movement. Let's make gameplay a method to tell our story. And that's yeah. what the Star Stanley parable is. It's absolutely about the fourth wall is there free will we are telling this story through your actions because listeners if you've never played it you start the game and a narrator starts telling you what to do and, and at I, any stanley point, and stanley took the hallway on the right and then you i call <laughs> it i've i've never finished it i use it as a disobeying simulator so i walk on the i said stanley walked took the hallway on the on the right stanley go back and then yada 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 i'm in an alien spaceship somehow uh and, and every time i don't follow his order something weirder happens to me and i i've always wanted to dig more into this and finish it as many ways as i can but it just came out in a new edition so that's exciting but yeah sorry jerry yeah. no no it's 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 a really interesting game because mm -hmm. if you follow everything the narrator tells you to do uh then narratively, you free yourself from a soul-crushing office job, destroy a mind-control machine, and free yourself and walk into a beautiful day outside. And the lesson is, be free, be creative, follow your dreams. But you only do that by doing exactly what you are being told without a single deviation. So what is that saying? I don't know. <laughs> And, and I, I, I have loaded this up on many a night and just done what I, you're not supposed to do. And I'm always shocked. There's not only narration for it, there's like something incredibly new to the environment level or theme will come about. It's, uh, it, it feels like un, an unbreakable game. Mm -hmm. And yep. the guy who made it, uh, it's based on a Half-Life mod. Mm -hmm. And it was his very first video game. And he made it at 22. Wow. Which, Aye. Jesus, knocking it out of the park, dude. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, since I was talking about Gone Home last week at the end, people will now understand why it is. I took off the headphones, went to the other room, and asked Michael, I swear to God, is something going to jump out at me? Is there anyone else in this house? I swear to fucking God, if you lie to me, and there is someone in this house, I kill you. I know, because I know, uh, I that game dread. is about walking around an empty house. And it was making me really uncomfortable because I mostly played it while I was sitting in an empty house. And I didn't like it. And the Stanley Bearable <laughs> was... Uh, much less scary, but I also was constantly thinking, like, I'm just going to open a door and a bear's going to eat me. Like, it might as well. You, you never know. It, c it could happen. It's no. the kind of game that would do something random. Sure. Well, all right. Let's close this motherfucker out because we got to start Video Game Apocalypse every Friday. Uh, video game show with Mr. Diana Goodman and Maddie Allen, myself. Yeah, we're gonna we got a death and a birthday quiz coming up. But uh, Patreon.com/slash/LazerTime is how you can support us. Give us five bucks, we'll give you a bunch of Evil Dead shows, '80s in-depth episode, bonus times, full-length movie commentaries, all that shit's there. Five bucks really does help us a lot. Thank you so much, uh, Di. Where can folks find you at? You can find me on the Blue Sky at Listenernerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, and coming up. Next week, oh lord, we have we have two football movies. One of which is notorious for, let's say, someone going full R word, and the other one that R word is Rudy, Rudy, uh, Rudy. 
Okay. Oh, no. And, and it's going to turn out that Johnny Knoxville is a bad grandpa. <laughs> that's no. God damn. That's I did not know that's that old. Oh, my God. They took a long time to make another movie. Jer, what yeah. about you? And if that's not enough, let's do the time warp on television. Mm. Yeah. Let's track that one down. And, and MST3K says goodbye to Joel. Oh. And hello to Mitchell. 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 Oh. My, my, <laughs> my, 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 Mitchell. That is the dad in Gremlins singing that song. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we finally we get the origins of Arkham. Ah, mm. not as bad as people say. Anyway, um, die who who died during this period of thirty twenty ten? Nobody. What? I didn't find a single freaking death. Miracles I, can't happen. I, was, I mean, not someone who's famous that grabbed my attention. Fortunately, we have a couple big ones next week, but this week, nothing. Nobody. So, Jr., what does that mean? It's time for the birthday quiz. Eat my birthday. Okay, they would be turning 80. Mm, dead person. But they passed away in 2018. Pre hmm. pandemic. Born in the Bronx, New York City, October 15th, 1943, to a tap dance teacher and a director of industrial films and later producer. Uh, who, who is Jam Handy's kid? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, she uh, first appeared on television for a head and shoulders beautifying shampoo, where she was hired to play the part of Homely Girl. And she had a place card that said Homely Girl. And her co-star, Farrah Fawcett, had one that said Pretty Girl. Wow. And so Farrah Fawcett crossed out Homely and just wrote plain. Not better. <laughs> well, okay. if it's any consolation, she would later go on to be the first female director to direct a film that would gross more than $100 million at the U.S. box office. Patty Jenkins? No. 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 Um, Who was that? Ida Lupino. No. No. <laughs> She made her directorial debut with Jumpin' Jack Flash. Oh, oh, Penny Marshall. Oh, yeah, Penny Marshall. Penny Marshall. Yep. Yay! Other films she's directed include Big, Big Awakening, A League of Their Own, Renaissance Man, The Preacher's Wife, Riding in Cars Where Boys. Also, as an actress, she's been, she's having a baby, The Hard Way, Hocus Pocus, Get Shorty, High Fidelity. Uh, looking for comedy in the Muslim world, blonde ambition, going to America, and Scooby Doo and Kiss Rock and Roll Mystery. <laughs> that is one of the most diverse resumes I've ever seen. God damn. And I, I just read, I heard it as one word. I want to see she's having a baby the hard way. <laughs> oh my gosh, that totally works. That's the sequel that she's having a baby. Yeah. R.A.P. Penny Marshall. Uh, yeah, R.A.P. Penny Marshall, mm -hmm. man. I mean, League of Their Own was definitely one to the rewatch was like, this movie's like perfect. God damn it. That's really good. Why don't we appreciate this more? Yeah. yeah. And she's Laverne. Did we say Laverne? 
Yeah, didn't even say Laverne. Laverne and Shirley to people, uh, to your parents. That's how she's known. Um, yeah. I, I I don't know that I've even seen an episode of that show. Oh, I used to watch it all the time. It was fun. It was over before I was born, Diana. Yeah, they re-ran it like all the damn time. They did. But whenever I saw those wide lapels, I turned the channel <laughs> looking for cartoons. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. A uh, lot to look forward to next week. Um, Patreon.com slash time. What's taking us out, Diana? Great song. Uh, yeah, I thought we'd go out with some uh, letters to Cleo. <laughs> How good are you at karaoke? Uh, not great. I've but never seen anybody do this song any justice. Yeah, but I, I had one of those moments of epiphany when I'm looking through all the albums, and it's like, Aurora Gorealis by Letters to Cleo. Do I know that one? And I click on the image, and I'm, I'm immediately thinking about Parks and Rec. Yep. <laughs> his, uh, what's his name's depression shirt Ben's not wrong <laughs> he's, he's, he loves letters to Cleo when he's unemployed he becomes depressed and then they end up appearing on the show and it was pretty hilarious but it, this is just a fun song I like this song so yeah alright well taking us out as letters to Cleo here and now patreon.com slash later time we'll see you next week